Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. Uh, it's always exciting to have guests on the show. And today I have David Armet from Tucson, Arizona. He has a very unique bike, something that I'm familiar with. Uh, I think they're really cool, very practical, uh, but something possibly some of you actually haven't heard of. I would say these bikes are probably more common in Europe than in the U.S. I hope that changes one day, but I think David will give us some more insight on that. So once again, you're listening to the Bolton E-Bikes podcast, and we're here with our guest today, David from Tucson, Arizona. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast, David. Thanks a lot, Kyle. This is kind of an interesting one. Most of the time when people come on the podcast, they either found me on YouTube or maybe they have another e-bike business and we reached out to them and said, hey, we want to be on the podcast. That's not at all how we got connected today. Yeah, I just happened to meet Jessica, who works for you at the local daycare around the neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, I'm very friendly on my bike uh, because I have a giant bucket bike, if you're familiar with these, it can fit. It's called a backfeet. That is Dutch for bucket bike. Um, They're also called long johns occasionally. Mm -hmm. And it's a two-wheeled long bike with a bucket in the front. And the bucket can fit four kids in a pinch. You can fit two side by side and then two in front of them side by side. And behind it, there's also one seat behind me. And I can carry my whole family on this, my three kids and my wife, piece of cake. And we just go around nice and slow around the neighborhood and wave at people and make friends. And of course, (laughs) uh, Jessica, who works for you, loves bikes too. Of course. So we got chatting and that's how we met. I think she even told me about it the first time she saw it that day. She was like, oh, you'll never believe what I saw today. It was this cool, you know, and I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, I don't know how things went exactly from there, but I I definitely distinctly remember she telling me about it because when you see e-bikes or interesting e-bikes, of course, I always take notice and any of my employees or people that are working for me, you know, they start doing the same thing. They're spotting them all over the place. So I'm glad that however it worked out, whether she tracked you down or, or you uh, started talking to her, that we were able to, to get connected here. I kind of feel, feel like the Bach feats are like the pickup trucks of the e-bike world. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Yeah. Mine is more like a SUV of a bike or SUV. Sure. Maybe that's a better uh, comparison. Yeah. it's uh, I've got a sunshade because it's very hot here in um, Tucson, Arizona. Uh-huh. And I was really hoping to make that sunshade out of the solar panel and somehow get it to trickle charge my bike. Oh, that would have been cool. And I clued something together, but it was just too heavy and didn't work out. So I do have to plug my bike in to cruise around. It's useful. So it sort of looks like a Conestoga wagon. That's what a lot of people say. <laughs> so that's a pretty interesting e-bike. Was that your first e-bike or did you get into something before that? Um, it's definitely my first e-bike. Um, I've okay. always loved cycling as a way to get around. I think it's just a much more appropriate way to get around in a city. Clearly, the best way to get around a city is to live in a dense, walkable neighborhood where you can see people and get your errands done in a couple 10-minute walk. But we live in cities that aren't that are medium dense. 
And um, to take a car for every trip, it seems annoying to take a car for every trip. <laughs> you get in it, drive from one parking lot to another. You can't go door to door. Sure. It's just better to have a bike. And so I always loved bicycling. I originally had that bike without a electric assist. And I managed a whole year and a half in Tucson with smaller kids, just pumping my legs and getting around. And that was a lot of fun. But the summers are incredibly hot here. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. You lasted uh, through a whole summer, though, <laughs> of doing it that way. Yeah. And the the kids just keep getting heavier. So right. my kids do ride their own bikes now. They're All three of them are capable. My kids have learned at very young ages, two and a half, three, because I always give them the balance bikes. Awesome. But at the same time, they're not up for like going fast on the roads always. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll just throw their bikes in the front of my bike, throw them in my bike, cycle to a safe place where we can cycle, you know, even if it's only like a mile and then take their bikes off and then they can cycle there. And it just makes my whole life a lot more convenient to be able to carry my kids and their bicycles if necessary for part of the trip. Or if they get tired, I can just toss the kids and the bikes and, you know, a cooler or whatever else I need in the bike and it just works. Now, it seems to me the way you're thinking of things, well, for me, it makes perfect sense. I know from here at the shop, like if I want to run a package over to the UPS store, it's way faster to grab a bike that has a basket or something on it. Even the, the trike we have, which by comparison is probably one of the slowest e-bikes we have, it's still faster than driving, than the time it takes to get in the car, start it up, drive over there, put your seat buckle on, you know, then find a parking space, get out. Like I can get on the trike, take a package, get to the door, <laughs> park right next to the door, take the package in and I'm back in no time. It's, and it's more fun. So that's just uh, just a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Way more fun and way faster, especially with kids. Yeah. Especially with kids. Now, how is it in the Tucson, Arizona area? Is this something that's becoming more popular there or is it still, are you still kind of the, the odd one in town doing this? Well, Tucson, Arizona is a bike mecca. Tucson is a great place for road cyclists. Unfortunately, it's mostly the sport road cyclists. Okay. And it has less utility cycling, but that's really been trying to be changed by some big groups here in Tucson. And we are GABA, I think, gold, but we, I don't think we're GABA platinum yet. Many of the cyclists who come out to Tucson in the winter are like professional cyclists who come out and, you know, train in the winter because we've got great warmer weather. Um, it's right. dry. We've got good roads, beautiful mountains to climb. And if you're a fitness cyclist, I mean, this place is heaven. But as far as utility cycling, um, it's, a, it's a standard Western city. We have a decent set of like quiet routes. Some people call them bicycle boulevards. So it's a parallel system on quieter roads to the main road system. Okay, awesome. I primarily use those roads as opposed to the striped shoulder on the main roads. We do have a ton of striped shoulders on the main roads, but that seems more appropriate for those people who are on faster road bikes to go along with the faster traffic on those roads. Yeah, kind of going with the flow of traffic versus a slightly slower speed. Yeah, my bike, I feel most comfortable on that bike going around 12 miles per hour. When I originally electrified the bike, I bought the Chinese BBSHD from uh -huh. like LunaCycle. This is a DIY kit, and it was fairly easy to install and make work. It's just a slot out from your um, bottom bracket. 
as you pedal, it's got a double freewheel. You can pedal and not get power from the motor, or the motor can go and you can not pedal. So you have the choice either way. But this is a nearly two kilowatt stock motor. And that means I could go like 30 miles per hour, just like <laughs> zoom if I wanted to. Right. Two kilowatts is nearly three horsepower. And you know how torquey. Oh, yeah. We use that uh, particular motor on a lot of our models. And it's got, uh, it's not short on power uh, by any means. No. So that bike was way too fast and I was going to kill my kids. So I decided to limit it to what I felt comfortable doing, which was about 12 miles per hour. If I want to go faster, I absolutely can. I just pump my legs faster. But okay. I've, um, I've limited my own motor because that, that motor is completely programmable any way you like it. So I've completely limited it to 12. And that's great. And it's a good, you know, cruising kind of pace on those quiet roads. It's not always the most comfortable pace on the fast roads because, you know, you want to be going faster. But most of my cycling is on quiet residential streets, and that's the best speed for waving at your neighbors and, you know, <laughs> having your kids, you know, being silly and stuff like that. I feel like that's a comfortable speed where you can slow down and have a conversation with somebody walking or riding another bike. Or uh, it makes twelve miles an hour on a pedal bike, unless you're one of those road cyclists you're talking about. That's a decent pace. It's not like you're moving slowly like a tractor or something i don't know what how to the best comparison i'm from you know little little town in california but <laughs> i compare it to walking because it is just as easy to walk somewhere like you know there's no barriers to it like the same way there's barriers to getting in your car you got to turn the car on got to find a parking space mm -hmm. it's just as easy as walking which is about three miles per hour but it's four times that speed right that's what i really compare it to so you know, 12 miles per hour is not slow. And a lot of people say, oh, well, the roads around my neighborhood are 35, 40 mile per hour speed limit. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm not going to spend three times the time to go on my bike. But like you said, there's all this extra around that you have to worry about with a car that you don't have to worry about with a bike. Yep. And the fun aspect. You can't really replace that. No, it, it is so fun. We live right next to a big university, and there's no parking on that university. It's just 30,000 students, and everything's paid parking. And you can park in a garage, and it's walk, and it's far. Mm. But there's some beautiful gardens and beautiful areas I can go with my kids. And I can get there in literally 10, 15 minutes on my bike and roll right up to those gardens. But in a car, essentially, you can't get there. You sort of have to be a student <laughs> to find these. Right. And my kids love this. And I've met so many of the other people in town who are, you know, the bicycle families, because they know about these little gems of places that you can go to with your kids. For example, there's a turtle pond that's just this beautiful area. And but it's in such a dense urban area that a lot of people don't go there because like the parking's difficult. It's right near the university. So it's pretty much like students and people who live down there and stuff like that. It's funny you're talking about this because I'm in a rural area, but just the other weekend, uh, my wife and our two kids, we, we went to the local river, which is a, a good distance from where we live. It's, you know, maybe 20 minutes or so by car. So bike riding as a family would be a little bit challenging because it's a really narrow, windy road, no shoulder. You know, if it was just be me by myself to get there on an e-bike would be no problem. But once you get there, <laughs> the point is, yeah, the, the parking lots were completely full everywhere. So you had to park, you know, up the road, I don't know, maybe three quarters, maybe it was a mile up the road, and then you got to walk 
the rest of the way to get to the river. And I'm like, oh, this would be so nice on my e-bike. I could ride all the way there, not have to park a mile away <laughs> and walk down and just ride all the way down to the riverbank. You know, it's one of my destination spots I have on my list to do a video about riding there just because it's a really cool local place. But yeah, I mean, I feel like the city areas, uh, you know, whether it's dense, it's kind of medium like you're at, but even where I'm at, where it's rural, we still run into the parking problem. It's everywhere. Yeah, it sure is. Yep. Now, you didn't uh, always live in the Tucson, Arizona area. I've got that in my notes here. I'm curious uh, if that had an effect on, you know, your look at cycling and how it works, because I would imagine it does. I first fell in love with bikes when I was a kid, as many people do. It's that first real taste of freedom. Uh-huh. When you're like 10 or 12 and you can literally go four miles and the city's open to you, whereas before you'd always have to be driven around in your parents' car. So I fell in love with bikes <laughs> back then when I was a kid, you know, and I would cycle three miles to swim team and I would get there on my own for seven, 8 a.m. practice start times. Okay. Um, you know, depending on my age. And, um, you know, when I was younger, it was a little bit later. When I was older, it was a little bit earlier. And I do that every day of the summer and, you know, then swim and hang out and, and come back over the library. So I fell in love with bicycling then. And then, you know, like a normal 16 year old, I got a car and you drive your car everywhere and you sort of forget how much you loved it. But in college, I got the opportunity to go to uh, Denmark. Okay. So I did a study abroad in uh, Copenhagen. That's a great spot for e-bikes. This is a great spot. Um, e-bikes didn't really exist as a phenomenon when I went back there. It was This right. was in the early 2000s. I mean, the battery technology didn't exist. You know, that's what we had to do. So I bicycled there. And, uh, you know, when I went in the summer, the weather was beautiful. There's tons of kids carrying bikes. Uh, that's where Christiania bikes were invented. And I thought those were pretty cool when I was a student. So I just sort of saw how people lived. And I just didn't like the expense and the environmental impact of, you know, the car being the solution for everything. I mean, a car has its place in society. I, I absolutely think that cars are the right way to get around on, you know, a 30-mile trip on the freeway or, you know, a road trip or so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. We have to have trucks delivering us things. But I don't think the car is the right solution for every two, three-mile trip with your kids to deliver them to daycare or right. your you know grocery store run. I, I really think that the right solution to that is something smaller. Now, my first job out of college was in London, England, and that was a big change for me. So um, I went over there and I brought my bike thinking, okay, cool. I'm going to get around my bike everywhere. Everything's two, three miles away. And I found that I didn't use my bike as much in London. And the reason is it's just so dense. And I lived my entire life within two, three miles. And I became a very avid walker. For me, the bike was similar to a car in America in that it was unnecessary and difficult to park in central London. (laughs) It's so dense. So actually walking became more convenient than bicycling for any two, three mile trip because you don't have to find a thing to lock your bike to and things like that. So um, we became very hardcore walkers in London. I lived my entire life within two miles and it was great. And I lived there for 12 years and we had all our children there and we had, you know, double decker buggy buggies. Uh, buggies are like uh, strollers for our kids, things like that. 
and uh, essentially never drove ever. And I didn't really bicycle either. I only occasionally would bicycle only myself. And you have to be a very confident cyclist to do that because the traffic is just very dense. And there's a decent amount of smog then. Uh, London has changed a lot in the last um, I'd say 10 years. Um, it's gotten a whole lot more separated bicycle lanes and it's really becoming a much more cycle-friendly place. Good. But when I first went there, you had to be very assertive and sometimes you had to squeeze through spaces that were just like, you get stuck in traffic and then you'd have to squeeze through and very involved a lot of conflict, the driving there. The, what are they called? The cycle couriers there had these really narrow handlebars. It was truly phenomenal. The chop off handlebars. <laughs> Just so they can squeeze in between the cars. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Not in London, but I've seen uh, there's videos, which if you want to see people behaving badly, don't look these videos up. But I've seen the, the couriers that are just going for time in like downtown middle of like New York City is a popular area. Yep. And yeah, they've got these super narrow bikes, exactly what you're describing. And they're just flying in between all the, the slow moving traffic because they can go there faster. But yeah, they're, they're a little bit uh, scary sometimes. Not recommended, <laughs> at least not in the manner that they were riding. No, I don't recommend it. I, I love bikes, but I don't recommend that. Well, we moved back to Tucson in 2018 um, after Brexit, when the UK decided to vote out of the European Union. And uh, it was a very heartbreaking experience for many immigrants in uh, London. We felt very rejected as an immigrant because it was a rejecting kind of time where essentially they said, we don't want any more immigrants, not from Europe, not from other places. And so, you know, it was... Uh, my business failed and things like that. So I, we came back to our hometown of uh, Tucson, Arizona in 2018 after that. But I knew I didn't want to immediately just slot into American life the way that all Americans do it. Sure. And, you know, buy two cars and things like that. <laughs> so we really wanted to be a, a car light family. Um, so we had three kids and, uh, you know, two adults. So we definitely bought all the bikes that we could. Um, we did have to buy one car. We bought one um, used Nissan Leaf, an old one. It's a very convenient car for getting around town. It's not a road tripper because, you know, it can only get 80 miles on a charge. But we typically uh, trade our electric car with friends or family for uh, petrol cars. And um, we use that for road tripping. And that works. Okay. Um, but because we got two adults in the house and we have three kids, we oftentimes have to have one adult taking all three kids or even a neighbor's kid. And, you know, the other adult needs to go somewhere else, do something. There's no way that we could only own one car without having this incredibly capable bike. We almost certainly would need to have an SUV as a second vehicle or a minivan. Right. You got to cram all those kids in there. <laughs> it's just not enough seats. Yeah. My bike actually works as a minivan. At least we, you know, are able to make it work as a family with only one vehicle. It's better for the world. It's better for our budget. It's less cars on the road. It's uh, more fun. And, you know, the other day I carried five kids, you know, about a mile and a half. They were all at a friend's house and, you know, we were all going to go over to another house. It was a little bit, little distance, but it was all neighborhood streets. And the parents were chatting and, you know, the parents didn't want to leave right then, but the kids did. And I said, oh, I'll just take them all. So we just threw all the kids in, four in the front and one in the back behind me, and then me on the bike. I went nice and slow, and then their parents moseyed on over, you know, after they had their time, and 
got their kids. So it's far more capable than actually a sedan. I mean, it can carry more people because uh, my car can only legally carry three kids in the back and kids are not allowed to sit in the front either because of the airbag. And depending on their ages, you got boosters or car seats or who knows what you got to put in and out. And yeah, (laughs) we know the drill. The bike, you know, I do have uh, baby seats and attachments when my children were very small in the back seat. So you can put a maxi cozy in the front. Um, It takes up a lot of space, but some people do that so they can carry babies from a very young age on a back seat. And it's actually very, very safe because it straps in and it's a full maxi cozy, you know, car seat for a baby that's not going anywhere and protected in the bucket. If you were to be in an accident, the baby would be protected. Uh I did have toddler car seats attached to the bike. And they were useful because sometimes toddlers don't listen and they don't stay seated sitting down. (laughs) So what we could do is we could actually strap them in there and be like, hey, you know, the rule is you have to stay in your seat. And if you can't stay in your seat, you know, we're going to strap you in. That's the main thing. It's not really to keep them in in an accident because I typically go so slow anyway. They're not really going to go very far. Right. Which is great that you have these nice side roads that are designed for bikes that you can take so you can go nice slow speeds and not have to worry about the traffic and the cars. I I wish everywhere had places like that. I know there's like, it's almost like there's certain like hot spots where it becomes more popular, cycling takes off, and then people start putting in roads. Uh, And it's not everywhere yet. Uh, It's probably more so in very few places, but I know there's certain cities, uh, you know, the villages in Florida is a town that's, you know, really well set up for golf carts, for example, which kind of just naturally makes it friendly for bicycles and e-bikes. Cause you have all these separate roads for cars that aren't cars, <laughs> you know, they're, they're cargo bikes, mm-hmm. they're, you know, little golf carts, they're all sorts of different things. And it, uh, it makes for a really interesting dynamic and, uh, it's, it makes it a lot of fun, I think. One of the interesting things uh, I think about cycling is that um, there's many different schools of thought on how bicycles and cars should integrate together. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole vehicular cycling crowd that we went down as a society in America where many bicyclists were relegated to the side of the road and some bicyclists and, you know, told to not be on the road. The road is for cars. Get off the road. But cyclists, um, these were typically, you know, very fit, fast men who were road cyclists that fought back and said, no, the road is for us, too. The road is for bicycles and cars. And they learned how to drive their bike. They drive their bike in traffic, being very assertive, taking the lane when necessary, going quite fast speeds. Yep. And that works for a lot of fit young men cyclists. Um, I'm sure young women can do that as well. Typically, you have to be fit, confident, and a very confident driver and confident driver of your bike. Sure, yeah, and a confident person on an e-bike with enough power to keep up with kind of the the general flow of traffic. Yeah, yeah, I, I correct. Yeah, I like what you say. The word assertive, where yeah, you kind of you have to choose to take the lane when it's appropriate and make the car behind you wait and slow down, and and that can be a little bit scary at first. And not everybody's comfortable doing that. And you know what? I don't think that everyone will become comfortable doing that. I think it's Mm -hmm. totally, I think it works for 5% of the society, 
you know, can get around this way, but we need to build bicycle infrastructure for 95% of our society, not the 5% most fast, most confident. And I know that an e-bike can turn a person who's not fit enough and strong enough into someone who's fast enough to do this. Right. But do we want to do that? I mean, is it safe when you're older to be going 30 miles per hour? Yeah, the reality is we, I think we all know that if there was a separate road or lane for a bicycle, that that would be safer and better for everyone. That seems like the most logical scenario, but there's a lot of expense and time and effort to make that happen. And not not everybody cares. <laughs> uh, the cyclists care, and how do we get everybody else to, to see that that's important? The two different solutions, I think, for everyone else cycling is separated bicycle lanes along the sides of the arterial mm-hmm. roads. And that, as you say, is tremendously expensive. It's very difficult to do that. Um, I think a much more affordable way and a way that is a very good solution is the other solution, which is to simply make a route in already existing side roads. So find side roads that run parallel to the main arterial grid. Okay. And then take those side roads and sign them correctly. When those side roads hit major arterial roads, you need to place in crossings, lighted crossings that allow the bicycles to get across the main roads. Then you have a parallel network that runs along already quiet roads because these are residential roads running in front of people's houses, things like that. And that seems to be the solution. Those are, that's called a bicycle boulevard. And it really doesn't require any precious road space. It doesn't have to decrease any of the side next to the main roads. It really just requires occasionally limiting access to that road from the main road. So people, so cars don't turn on to there. So people who live on the road have to turn on one block over and go through a side street to get to their front door. This reduces the traffic on that road quite a lot. Um, so it becomes a very quiet side road for cars at least. And then you also need to add the lights, which are typically, you know, toucan crossings where you press press a button and then, you know, a bicycle or a pedestrian can walk across, you know, two kinds of tra- yeah. traffic. That's why they're called toucan crossing. That's uh interesting idea, kind of direction you're going with this. I, I released a video a few weeks ago where I kind of went through the local area here in Grass Valley, California. Mm-hmm. And because of all the shutdowns and everything, the city of Grass Valley shut down kind of one of the main streets in downtown and made it open for outdoor dining. So it used to be always jam-packed full of cars, jam-packed full of parking, parallel parking on both sides of the street. It was always super busy. And now it's blocked off at both ends and you can only walk through that section. And it's really interesting because at first you would think, well, where are all these cars going to go? It's got to increase the traffic on the other road next to it, or where are they all going to park? And and I don't know the logistics of all how all of that has worked out, for, but for the most part, it seems like what I've seen is most people are very happy with how it is now being blocked off to cars. And a lot of people want to keep it that way. They're like, hey, this actually works. The reason for doing it in the first place was totally different. But now that it's been done, it's like, oh, you can 
ride your bike uh, easily or you can walk through here, whatever, you know, just pedestrian traffic, basically. The road was turned into not a road and it seems like it worked out just fine. So I think you might be onto something here. Absolutely. I mean, many businesses howl at the loss of uh, street parking, the loss of uh, the ability for cars to get to their front door. Right. But they howl about that. But then, you know, eventually you get a pedestrian scene there and then the businesses become tremendously more profitable because what's the likelihood that you'll sell somebody, sell something to somebody meandering by slowly walking or cycling versus the the likelihood you're going to, somebody's going to stop by and buy something when they're driving their car at 30 miles by there. You know, if somebody's just commuting by your business, yeah, I think when you drive it's by, not valuable. you're going to drive, you're going to park as close as you can to the business you're going to go to, you're going to go in and out, and you're going to leave. But if you have to walk half a block past all the other businesses, the chances of you going into one of those other businesses, I think, is so much higher because it's convenient Absolutely. for the person walking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those businesses have seen an improvement in foot traffic because of it. Absolutely. Yeah, um, people buy things, cars don't. People need transportation to get where they're going. They don't need cars to get where they're going. You need to get there, but you don't necessarily need to get there on a car. And certainly not the last mile at the enjoyable district where everyone's walking around. You know, you want to go out to dinner and then stroll around afterwards and people watch and things like that. And it's not fun to people watch at people in cars. It's fun <laughs> to walk, people watch people actually walk, walking around. It's fun to sit on a cafe. I mean, one of the things I really liked about my trip to Denmark when I was a student was I got to learn all about Jan Galel who wrote a great book called Life Between Buildings. It's written in English, um, even though he is Danish. And he had graduate students go around and like count people and interactions of people with each other on streets with various different traffic densities and various different you know widths of sidewalks. And he created this multi-factor model that showed that by removing the cars and protecting the sidewalk and making the sidewalk bigger and nicer and things like this, suddenly you get people having much more social interaction with each other. You get more people on the streets. You get all these great outcomes. And he is the main reason that Copenhagen, over a 30-year period, reduced 2%, 3% of its parking in downtown Copenhagen each year. Um, In the 70s, Copenhagen was full of cars. And there was, like, no place to park. And, you know, it it was not a nice pedestrian city. There was no street culture there. And no one thought that there would be street culture in Scandinavia. They said, what do you think we are, Italy? This is Scandinavia. It's cold here. (laughs) You know, you've got to be silly. So they wouldn't remove all the parking on day one. But for 30 years straight, they removed 2 or 3% of parking from downtown Copenhagen. Eventually, they shut whole roads, the Stral and Kambagard in in central Copenhagen. And that's some of the most valuable real estate now because it's just full of pedestrians walking around, street performers. It's just so fun to be there now. Well, it's interesting because I may have to fact check this and make sure I'm looking at it right. But I have a Velomobile, which is an enclosed three-wheel thing. You may be familiar with them. Most people are of course. not. The one that I have is the called the Litra, and it is, to my knowledge, it's the oldest one that's been around and in production. And it was in the early, let's see, I'm looking it up right now. So the first Litra was built in 1980. And I'm pretty sure that the guy was building them in Copenhagen at that time. And he did for like 20 years straight. 
<laughs> you probably have been over there. I've seen these before. I mean, um, Bellomobiles are cool things. Um, I've never owned one myself. I don't like being that low. I mean, the ability to be out of the weather and to be able to go so fast with the full fairing on just pedal power alone is, is amazing. As far as transportation goes, they're they're fantastic, but they've never been for me. You know, I like I like being out in the elements and yeah. you know waving at people and going slower. And the Velo Mobile, yeah, it'll never be for most people because it's just too weird and enclosed, and it's just uh, there's a certain people that love them because of what they are, and everybody else probably will will never ever buy one. <laughs> but uh, it's just interesting that the development kind of took off in that area that you're talking about. And I happen to have one of those. If you were to have an electrical Velomobile and use it for your commute and went something like 30 miles per hour, you would be getting something on a gas equivalent of something like 250 to 500 miles per gallon. I mean, if you didn't even pedal, if you were to do all the math through there. Yeah, even even higher is not unrealistic whatsoever. Yeah, I've crunched some numbers on that in the past for sure. And it's, uh, yeah, hundreds of miles of per gallon at maybe the worst case scenario, you know, even better as possible. I mean, they are one of the most magically efficient vehicles in existence. But you know what's a close second is the standard bicycle. Exactly. <laughs> the standard bicycle just works great, too. Yeah, and people that have known me or followed my business for a long time may know that originally Bolton e-bikes was called Velo Mobile Shop, which is kind of a weird name, but I originally wanted to develop some affordable Velomobiles because I was like, man, these are the most efficient types of vehicles ever. And they're street legal. Like, But I quickly learned that just because it's the most efficient thing and because I think it's cool, for the reasons you've already stated, being enclosed, you want to be more upright, you want to see, you want to be in the open air. All of those reasons are reasons why I don't think we'll ever take off mass adoption-wise it's just not going to happen. Bicycles, however, everybody knows bicycles. Like you, they probably grew up riding bicycles. There's that sense of freedom, and that kind of comes back when they ride an e-bike. And so for that reason, e-bikes have just, I think, exploded. That's what people want. <laughs> and uh, so it's interesting how that changes things. You have to work a little bit if you're not in a full recumbent position, if you don't have a full fairing to go fast on a bike because you, when you're sitting fully upright, because you're, you know, hitting so much wind, especially sure. when you're going faster. The little electric motor makes all the difference in the world because oh, yeah. just a little bit of power there and, you know, suddenly you can go a much faster speed and it totally can, you know, the ability to be fully upright and fully in front, you know, visible to all the traffic is super mm -hmm. useful. I'm not saying that, it's, you know, it's particularly dangerous to be on a recumbent bicycle. I'm sure that many of those people are very good cyclists. It's just that a lot of people could feel very uncomfortable around our very large vehicles on a road if they're sitting in a fully seated low position. Exactly. It's the same reason you stated before about people not maybe wanting to ride in the road or take the lane. It's if you're not comfortable, you're not going to do it. And that's totally fine. I, you know, if, if we have separate cycling lanes, then somebody could probably ride a recumbent and not have any of those concerns. Here in Tucson, we have something called the Loop. We've now enclosed our entire city in entirely off-road, entirely separate, multi-use paths. I, in fact, see velomobiles tearing along that all the time. <laughs> and some great handy cycles, some, some people who are, don't have the use of their legs, and they lay fully recumbent and yep. tear down the road going 25, 30 miles per hour in little pelotons with their hands. 
They're using, <laughs> literally using their arms to go fast. So there's a, a bicycling group of people who bicycle with their arms because they don't have the use of their legs and they're in full recumbent position and they go so fast. I mean, it's unbelievable. And it's perfectly safe there for them because this is a, a multi-use path primarily for use by bicyclists and pedestrians, and there's no cars at all on it. Um, so this is a nice thing about Tucson, but again, it's just one recreational path that goes around the perimeter of Tucson. It's not um, useful for getting to the grocery store unless you happen to live by it and you're going to a grocery store by it. That's just pure luck. The average person needs to be able to get by on streets, which I think is an upright bike, uh, possibly with an electric assist, definitely with some storage for the stuff that you need to carry. You know, my bike works great, mainly because I have to carry so much stuff and I got so many kids and things, but you don't need to go my whole hog, uh, especially if you have only two kids. I would say a long tail bike is adequate as long as you yep. have a nice big basket, you're in good shape. But if you've got three kids in close succession, which is what I do have, and you really, you don't mind the fact you're going to be a bit slower, a bit more cumbersome. Or you're in a city that has big roads, things like uh, Tucson or American cities in general. It'd be very difficult in London to find space for something like that. Then backseats is great. It works for me. Well, I think what I've learned so far from our conversation is that different cities are set up differently right now. There may be different types of e-bikes or bicycles or cars or even walking that may be the best mode of transportation. And even though bicycles or e-bikes may be one of the most efficient ones, not every city is set up for that right now. Hopefully they will be. So this brings uh, kind of my last question I've got for you. And, and if you don't have an answer for this, that's totally fine because I'm putting you on the spot and it's a tough question. I feel like you've got a great idea on how to set up the roads so it can work for cyclists and for cars and make things a lot more accessible. But what do you think is going to be the thing to help people change their mindset and go from a car that they use now to a bike? I mean, what's the best way to convince people? Well, I've only been back here in Tucson three years, and I was the one of only a couple people in town that had bikes like I've got. I think the more examples we see of people out, you know, normal people in normal clothes, okay, you know, getting around on bikes. I think that middle-aged men in Lycra, you know, are going to be <laughs> middle-aged men in Lycra fast on bikes. And people are going to see them as weird because they're wearing tight-fitting Lycra clothing and they're going fast and they're hunched over. Yep. But when you see a normal person sitting upright on a normal bike, going around, not with a silly outfit, not with <laughs> the silly stuff, but normal clothes, doing normal things, like I'm a, I'm a normal dad, doing normal stuff with my kids, getting around on the bike it suddenly becomes like, hey, that's how you get to the zoo. We go to the zoo. We ride the bike. We go to the park. We ride the bike. We go to the turtle pond. We ride the bike. You know, go to the pool. We ride the bike. Everything is within two or three miles of my house. And everyone sees me day in, day out doing this. Well, then that brings me to a follow-up question. So I'm going to, sorry, I'll have to interrupt here. Mm -hmm. Do you know for sure that people have bought e-bikes after talking to you? Yes, Absolutely. Um, I've had several friends who, who pointed it out that, that, you know, they saw it, they were so confident that, that, you know, that he saw that, oh, it just works so well, it looks so fun. Yeah. And you know, half a dozen in my local community of people who are similar to me, who've, you know, done the same thing. I even gave you one, a recommendation of a friend who, you know, recently uh, got the Brad Power Wagon and okay. he 
has um, been cycling quite a bit farther distance than me. He does uh, about an eight-mile trip with his, maybe it's six or so, six-mile trip with his son. But he only has one child, and he was cycling his one child on his non-e-bike to school occasionally. But, you know, you get tired and excuses, and you think, oh, I'll just take the car this one time. And then you fall out of the habit, and you don't do it. (laughs) And so he switched to an e-bike, and he gets help from the e-bike. But guess what? He also says that he's losing weight because he's getting more exercise. So believe it or not, the e-bike doesn't mean that you slack more on the bike. It means that you're more active. Mm-hmm. So yes, you still pedal, you still get a workout when you e-bike. It just means that when you're really tired and you're really hot and you're making the excuse to take the car, you don't, you take the e-bike. So yep. it's been a win-win for him. He's more, he has way more fun, takes same amount of time. He goes faster than me. It's a, his bike's built for going faster. He, he's a bit of a speed demon. He also has only one kid and he feels very comfortable going at those speeds. It works. So I think that, it, you know, people are, are choosing to do this for their own reasons, but they need to see it happen in real life. They need to see normal people doing it and that will make them change if you make it easy for them. Awesome. I think what you just said is probably the easiest thing any of us can do. Odds are, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably either already have an e-bike or you've ordered an e-bike and you're waiting for it and people either are already asking you about it or they're going to. So stop, be friendly, chat with them. If you're willing, let them test ride it and try it out. I know firsthand experience. That's, I don't sell e-bikes. I tell people about e-bikes and then once they try it, they sell themselves on it. They're like, wow, this is. They sure do. They (laughs) sure do. And I, every different e-bike is so cool and all the different kinds of motors are so interesting and you want to learn all the details. Yeah. You don't have to sell somebody on the idea. You just show it and they like. They get so excited. I give rides on my bike all the time. It's ridiculous. Awesome. <laughs> Mostly kids. They love hopping on. <laughs> I'm sure. They love the trip. Uh, that's one thing. I, I had a cargo bike around the house for a little while, and my kids were smaller. You know, when they were like four to six range, I'd throw them both on the back and we'd go for rides, and they loved that. They're a little bit bigger now. So that's a little trickier. I'm like, you guys can ride your own bikes and pedal yourselves now. <laughs> but they still ask about, oh, we need another one of those because they're like, we just want to get on the bike and go ride around and go places. They really love it. Yeah. I, I think I'll continue to take my kids on my big bike for quite a while after they can ride their own bikes because sometimes kids are, are lazy. They're tired. <laughs> they don't yeah. want to take their big bike. And, uh, you know, sometimes even your very competent eight-year-old who's riding a big kid 24-inch wheel bike and mm-hmm. can, do, can do the BMX trails and everything, sometimes it's like, dude, just take me to school. Like, I'm tired, you know. <laughs> and yeah. I don't want to take them to school. If I'm cycling them to school every day, I don't want to, like, say, hey, now we're going to start doing cars for this two-mile trip and add to the snarl of cars at the school. Sure. I mean, I want to provide a good example, which is, it's silly to take a car for a two-mile trip. I mean, yeah. it's just silly. We can all do better choices. And I'm don't, absolutely, I absolutely don't want to guilt the people who are driving across town who have chosen to be at our school because they really believe in the ethos of our school and they're driving 10 miles. I mean, good for them. They, they love our school. They want to be part of it. And they're going to drive. And it's unrealistic for them to cycle that whole distance in the morning. But there's so many people who drive two, three miles. And that's silly, in my opinion. You can do better. And, um, you know, you can be a fair weather cyclist too. Like if the weather's bad, just drive. Who cares? 
Yeah. Like, you know, you don't have to be perfect. Just, just, you know, do it sometimes and the whole world ends up better if everyone makes these small decisions. Yeah. Well, awesome. I, I appreciate uh, everything you shared with us, uh, David. It's been uh, fun and entertaining and giving me some new insights on things. I always learn something new, I feel like, from everybody that comes on the podcast. And hopefully everybody listening is uh, is soaking all of this information in as well. So I, I really appreciate uh, your time on all of this. I, I think this is all very, very good insight on getting more people on e-bikes. Absolutely. Kyle, I had a great time chatting with you as well. Awesome. Well, if anybody is in Tucson, Arizona, I guess watch out for uh, the Bach feet uh, out there, <laughs> which if you don't know what that is, it's, you know, just imagine a giant wooden box in front of a bicycle. You can't miss it. It's it's bigger than a normal bicycle. <laughs> I feel like you really can't miss it. And uh, say hi to David if you happen to, to see him. I wouldn't be surprised if we have uh, a bunch of Bolton e-bikes customers in the Tucson, Arizona. So if somebody stops you, hopefully they heard you on the podcast or something. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Great. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Bolton e-bikes podcast. I appreciate you coming back. Uh, if you're new, just a reminder, episodes do come out every single Tuesday. We also have videos that come out on the Bolton e-bikes YouTube channel every Thursday. And if you want to know more about either of those, you can always go to our website, boltonebikes.com. Thanks again for listening, and I will be back for another episode next Tuesday. Tuesday.